Uh, we've been waiting for this for a long time, y'all. We're going to have somebody talk about toxic relationships from a first person point of view. Our guest is Rosie Aiello. Uh, she was in a relationship for 25 years and then engineered an international escape from the Middle East. And don't jump to conclusions. We're going to get into her story in just a minute. She saved herself and her young adult daughter from domestic violence. Let me just read a little bit more. She was stunned by PTSD, as you can imagine, nearly mentally destroyed. She reinvented herself since coming back to the United States, started her own business to help women like her. She became a speaker. She has a podcast of her own called Vulnerable to Valuable. She's a best-selling co-author and an international award-winning entrepreneur, and it has a happy ending. She found the love of her life. Rosie, I'm so excited to have you. I've been waiting for this for a long time. Oh, it's such a pleasure. You know, when we connected, man, it was just like fire. <laughs> I just wanted, I was like, you get attached to somebody, you know, you just have that feeling. And I'm just so glad to be here. Thank yeah. You. And we had a little bit of problem connecting. And whenever I've said this before, whenever I have problems with connecting with someone, I know it's going to be big and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> so just really, really excited about having you here. So you are originally from the United States. Tell us the story of how you met this man that you were in a relationship for 25 years and how you ended up in the Middle East. So just a little bit of the background on you and your story. We, we met at Berkeley. I was an undergrad and he was a graduate student. We didn't get married right away. You know, years had passed and he was already working in the Middle East, but he came over to the United States on a regular basis. And he always said, hi, he was always sweet and friendly and I admired him. And then one time I was, I was available. He was available. And one thing led to the other. We had a long distance relationship and, and then we got married and I moved, I left my career, my family, my friends and moved to the Middle East to Saudi Arabia first. Oh my goodness. And this was in what year? This Approximately? Was, yeah, it was in 86, 1986. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was married in 85. So right along the same timeline. So what yeah. was a big, and I mean, that was huge leaving your family in California, correct? Yes. In California. Uh -huh. And moving to the Middle East in the 80s. So was there any political strife or what was going on in the Middle East at that time? Because um, I know now it's would be a huge. Well, he's uh, not not so much in, in Saudi Arabia, at least not at the time. Uh, I, I'm, I like to say that I probably have seen more uh, war and, and military conflicts than probably the average military person in the United States, you know, because I've, I've been exposed to it a lot, actually. Uh, a latter part in, we had the 1991 when uh, Iraq invaded Kuwait, and then there was uprising then. I mean, he's Lebanese, he's, he's a Greek Orthodox, he's Christian Lebanese. So we did travel there and there's a lot of war stories there. But when I came there were, when I went there, there were in Saudi Arabia, it, it's a really, it was, it was a safe place, very, very safe place. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the one thing that I said in your introduction, because as soon as you say, oh, she escaped from the Middle East, people assume it's going to be, you know, somebody that was Muslim and you were in this relationship, but he was Christian. Yes. So, was, and it was still a very abusive relationship. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it was. Um, and, and I didn't, you know, when you go into a relationship, and I think most women that I, I've spoken to as well, is that you're not expecting you're not expecting this. I didn't, I didn't even really know what a narcissist was or until I came back, I started to have inklings. You know, I knew 
that something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. So I always blamed myself because they made sure to say, oh, well, if you only did this, if you only did that. So because I was so successful in so many other areas of my life, I thought, well, I can fix this and just kept trying and trying to make it better. And I didn't have any support system, you know, no family or friends. I mean, I had some new friends, but you know, you don't just start sharing things like that. So it was really difficult uh, as I was going through this and not knowing what it was I was experiencing. Right. And we did talk about this a little bit before we started recording. Oftentimes you get into a relationship because it's comfortable and it's something you're accustomed to. So had you experienced any kind of abuse, whether it be emotional, physical, um, uh, spiritual, anything like that in your life previous? Well, it's an interesting question. I, you know, I would say most likely not. And, um, you know, my mother was maybe a little bit, uh, maybe verbally abusive, but that wasn't the, the essence of it. But this is what I think, because I've had this, <clears throat> excuse me, with other clients. It's like, she says, that's what I'm just, this one I'm thinking of. Because my parents were just so loving and had the perfect relationship. You know, they're so loving and kind to each other. And I said, that was kind of like my, my dad was just super kind. And this is, this is my theory on that for, for those women like me who didn't have the abuse, but I want to go the next step further, but just on my own personal history, my dad was so kind. I think I didn't learn. I didn't learn. I just trusted everybody. And I just assumed everybody was kind. So, so I had like almost the opposite where I just, well, why wouldn't you be kind? So I didn't have any God. I didn't have any, like, you know, I didn't know how to set a boundary because there were no boundaries to be set. Does it even make sense? Mm -hmm. And so it left me open to being very vulnerable. And you know why from vulnerable to valuable podcast, why made me so vulnerable? Because I didn't really have those, those skills. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side of it, now that I've been through this, what I believe strongly too is that when women realize this and they're in this relationship, this is the time when we need to be the disruptors because what's going to happen is the children are the ones who are going to be the most impacted. And this is the, the mission is really to help the, the generations to come. And children, or unless you have been, um, had some therapy or you've done some work on yourself or something, what happens that children will either become abused or abusers unless something else uh, comes into their life where they can wake up and change because that's what they know. And this is why this work is so important is to stop, to disrupt that continuation of what it happens because we're impacting generations to come. Right. Now, it's really interesting. Let me jump back to what you said, because you you threw in a word that is kind of a, a big, big thing for me is boundaries. Mm-hmm. So how does somebody set boundaries, especially if you've never done it before? Some people have never even heard. What do you mean boundaries? So a little bit about what boundaries are and how do you set them for yourself or in a relationship? Or And also, we, we want to make clear, too, that when we talk about relationships, we're not just talking about marriage relationships or intimate relationships. We're talking about parents, work, 
church, school, all, all relationships in our lives. Yeah. I I mean, I've talked to women all over the world, the same thing. Right. Well, first of all, I call what I I like to set up what I call the, the honor system. And so many women just think that they can, um, oh, well, I can't tell them how I feel. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make things uncomfortable. I'm going to, um, you know, I, you know, I, I, I can, I, I can just put up with it. This kind of an attitude, right? And so when you, and then you know, in your heart, you can feel it when you're feeling uncomfortable, you can feel it, right? So that's the first warning sign is when you're feeling uncomfortable, what that means is that you're giving, you're giving in to something that is not right for you. And when each time you give in, you give up a part of you. And as you keep giving up a part of you, your whole authentic self becomes just buried and you have lost yourself. This is how you lose yourself. And this is why you can't stand up for yourself. So part of the, you know, part of setting the boundaries is first knowing what is important to you, knowing your values. If you can't set boundaries unless you have established that. And a lot of people just like, kind of just like, uh, uh, just, just avoid it. But we have these values we've kind of picked up over time and maybe they're not valid for us anymore. Or we haven't even looked at them ever. Like, well, what's important to me? I, I, you know, you're, you're so, women are so good and groomed at people pleasing, right? Just another word for giving up your power for people pleasing that creating a boundary doesn't even enter into their mind. So the boundary is there to protect you. The boundary is not about controlling anybody else. You set your boundaries and you honor your own boundary. So you set the boundary and it's to protect yourself. And it's not to create a wall. It's to actually allow you to be your full authentic self. So you show up in the world empowered. And like what we were talking before is like, okay, well, what's important to me? Well, it's important to me that no one yells at me. So if somebody's going to yell at me, you know, now you don't have to always tell somebody the boundary. You have to know it. Mm-hmm. You have to know it in your mind. So the, in my mind is like, okay, if somebody yells at me, I will either uh, tell the person, do not yell at me. I don't accept that. Or I will uh, it depends on where you are on the line, but there's always, you know, if you do this, then I'm going to do this. And then you do it. You have to, and you're doing it. You're not doing it against the other person. You're doing it for yourself. Now, some people may not like it, but you know what? Do you want to be around people who are not going to honor you how you deserve to be? But first you have to establish what your values are, right? That's right. First right. thing. And that's one of the things I work with the, the women on. They think they know their values, but they're, they're, they're almost always, at least the majority, of, the majority of their values are old and off and they're not even aware of them. How often do you suggest people reassess or re-look at their own values or what's uh, important to them? Well, I would say at least every six months, but once you do it, and especially the way I, I teach it is like, it becomes an integral part of your life. You're fully aware of your values and you're living them every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has to be, this is a foundation of who you are. This is your core core of what matters to you. Right, right. And, and I like, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say women don't usually give themselves that chance of oh, what's important to me. I don't know. I have to settle in this. I have to settle for the relationship. I can't get the relationship I want. I can't find my love, my life. No, I just have to settle. It's right. that kind of attitude that is is really damaging to a, a woman's um, whole life. Right. Now you said something that I think might be a flag for people: the word power or empowerment, because we always like, you know, woman power, or I need to be more, you know, empowered. And I think that's a positive thing, but I know that can come across to some people as a negative thing. Like you're going to overpower somebody or be dismissive or minimizing men. But I don't think, (laughs) I don't think that's what you're talking about. I think you have a better, I think you and I are in agreement, but have you found women who don't like the word power or empowerment? Uh, I, not, not in the women I work with. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> not, not in the women I work with, but I'm really glad you, you brought that up because that was even a feeling <laughs> that I had as like, oh my gosh, you know, oh, we're going to be overpowering that we're going to just think we're so dominating and all of these things. But this is the thing. These are thoughts. These are things that have been given to us. This is like a value. Oh, women should not be powerful. There's something wrong with that. But there's a difference between um, owning your own power, owning who you are, and dominating. Yeah, that's how it can be misconstrued. Uh, We're not here to dominate, but we're not here to be dominated either. And I think that's the difference. It's not okay to be dominated. And women will accept these accept accept it. I did. I mean, because I didn't. I didn't know. I just thought, oh well, I just got to do better. (laughs) <laughs> and I understand it, right? Right. So if you don't mind me asking, in your relationship, was it physical? Was it emotional, spiritual? What kind of um, domineering? Was he a narcissist? There's a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think it was like a little uh, stew. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of everything. <laughs> it was, it was um, primarily, it was primarily, um, uh, emotional, mental uh, abuse, financial abuse. I have an MBA in finance, and if I, I could, I could talk a whole a whole segment on the financial abuse alone. So the other thing I want women to hear very clearly has nothing to do with your intelligence or how smart you are, how brilliant you are, because women think, how could I have gotten myself into this? I, I've been, I'm so smart. How could I have done this? Right. So there's a lot of self blame. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I had, I had, I had sprinklings of physical abuse and sexual abuse, sexual abuse, especially came up when he would be explosive. Sometimes he would sit me down literally Colleen for maybe an hour to four hours lecturing me. I would sit down and he would scream at me. And then it was like a volcano had just exploded. And then it just calmly cools down. Right. And then that's when he would say, oh, let's go, let's go have, let's go make, let's go to the bed. You know, like I didn't want to be near him, but I gave in because it's like, I don't want to cause another problem. So you see how I kept giving up my, my power because I was so, I was so afraid. Mm -hmm. The fear kept me also small and the shame. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think some of it may come in too, where it's 
you know, you have a family situation like I, I, you know, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I'm a beautiful woman. I, you know, I don't want to be a failure in, you know, in that marriage or in that relationship. Mm -hmm. So women, what we tend to do is smooth things over. Let me make things right. I will be the caretaker and I will make this work. So do you, did you struggle with some of that? Or do you have the women that you work one-on-one? Oh coaching? yeah. hundred percent. I call it the peacemaker. We are all, mm. I, I, you know, Colleen, I tell, I tell my women, I says, we should win the Academy Award, win uh, Academy Award for best actress. Yes. Because we, you know, we put on the front, we, you know, we, we would smile. Everything looks really good. We, you know, I was a constant peacemaker you know, I want to uh, tell um, a story if I can. And it's really a, it, it's, it just shows you what happens to a family and, and a woman. So we were on our way, actually it was to um, midnight mass. It wasn't midnight mass, it was Christmas Eve mass, but it was at eight o'clock at night because of my daughter, she was young. And my husband had gotten really angry at, at, at me that day. I'm not gonna go into the details of that, but on our way to church, on our way to church, it was about um, a 40 minute drive because we were going to a special place. From the moment we got into the car to the moment we arrived at the church, he was screaming at us. I mean, it was the day that I was ready to open the door and jump out of the car. I mean, I literally was that close. When we got to the church, I just told my daughter, just apologize to your father. I mean, and he, she really didn't, she was a teenager. And here I was, I just felt like I was prostituting my daughter, you know, just make peace, right? Make peace. It's Christmas Eve. I just want peace, you know, and the family. And so I'll never forget. He went into the pew first and my daughter than me. And, and she turned back to me. She goes, mama, I should go, you know, so, so she apologized. She goes, mama, Papa forgives me. And I was just like, I was so upset because how dare him even think to forgive her? I mean, she didn't need to be forgiven. Do you know what I'm saying? She didn't do anything wrong. Right? Yeah. But that was the extent to what I was always trying to create peace, mm-hmm. even making my daughter create peace. And it pains me to this day that, and those happened a lot. It was always trying to create peace, not make him get angry so we could have some peace in the family. Because mm-hmm. you do this, these are survival techniques. So I want women to understand too that this is there's absolutely no judgment on anything that you've ever done, but these everyone has a different way to survive. And we do the best we can given what we know, which was, for me was very, very little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not something I was raised, you know, grew, grew up doing or, or learning about. I didn't learn this from my parents. So how to identify a narcissist. Right. You know, no. how, to, how to defend yourself. No, we were just like white picket fence, get married, you make it work yeah. and have a beautiful family. Yeah. And that's why I love your mission, which you said earlier about making sure that this can be a generational thing and often is. And here you were with your daughter, like now is that, is she going to turn around and find a relationship? So how did that Oh gosh, I don't want I don't want to jump ahead. I was going to ask how it impacted your daughter. Well, we're talking about her now. Let's go ahead and do that. But I want to also know the turning point in the marriage that got you to like, okay, enough is enough. I'm done and get out. So I want to talk about your daughter first. And then I want to go back to your story okay. and get well, like, be, how did you get good, out? It'll be a good segue. Good. So, oh. um, so it impacted my daughter very severely 
you know, and I think part of it too is that she's hypersensitive and I don't mean that in a negative sense. I mean, she's got high sensitivities and, um, you know, she came back with complex PTSD to this, to which this day she's still suffering. And I am a strong believer that, um, children as much as, you know, we, we know it, but we don't know it that they will, they will always, um, know what's going on there's nothing we can't hide from our children what is happening and so she observed everything she observed a lot and a lot of times she told me well this is she said later on but she said she goes sometimes mama your love wasn't enough it wasn't enough to offset the abuse from her father and that's why the we why i i'm not breaking up a good family but women need to own what is happening. And if they are being abused, their children are being abused, even if they're not being directly abused um, by observation. And they will become abusers or abused if we don't break the cycle unless they get help in some shape or form, or they right. wake up or they read something. Mm-hmm. And it will just, it'll be a generational thing. It'll go on and on and on and on. And we have to stop it at the source. And that's I'm pulling back tears right now because it's our roles as moms and raising our families and raising our children is so it's like goes back to the saying the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. And if we don't stop the cycle of abuse, who will? Yeah, who will? That's right. And it takes a lot of courage. And again, anybody who's listening, there is absolutely no judgment. I, I know it took me a long time before I was able to get out and you want to go into what was it so i'm going to tell you because this is such a perfect segue um <laughs> it's it's funny the emotions come up even though it's been a little bit of a while but uh my daughter we were now in beirut lebanon where her father was is from uh, we had moved there from saudi arabia and we've been there for a few years and she was now in college and she was attending the American University of Beirut. But um, the first year she lived on campus, the second year after the first year, he made her come back and live home. Now you have to take, put this in perspective. It's actually very common in the Middle East, everywhere in the Middle East for children to, to live at home until they get married. So it's not like here, but it is. I wanna kind of put that into a little bit of context, but nevertheless, um, and he was harassing her all the time. And so she came running home one day, ran up the stairs. I was in my office and she said, mom, you've got to take me away from my abusive father. And so within four months, I planned the escape of our lives. Wow. I just talked, she was in college, but out of the mouths of babes, you know, how did you feel when she said that to you? Well, you know, I, I was the little, um, I, I wasn't in this mindset right at that moment, right? right? You know, at that very moment. And my first reaction was, well, are you sure? I mean, you only have a couple of years or a year. I, I can't, yeah, one year. You only have one more year to graduate. No, mom, I can't. And then I think, yes, what? Stay one more year and, 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 and buy poison, right? Get sicker. Right. I mean, right. we were both so suicidal. I mean, I told you about, I was ready to open that door that day. I mean, my hand, I, my hand was on the handle ready to open that door to jump but I, I, you know, I thought of my daughter well I can't leave my daughter with my husband and later on when we were back in the United when we were in the United States 
because she was born overseas. Um, she told me, she goes, oh, I can't commit suicide. I can't leave mom with my, with my father alone. So we both kind of saved each other as sick as that sounds, you know? Right. But um, that's how desperate we, you can be. So did you hide it from him? Did you like, okay, I'm going to get my own money or, cause you're in a, you're in the middle East. I mean, good Beirut for heaven's sakes. How did you, and only four months, which uh, kudos girl, because that's quick. <laughs> because I know people that it takes years for them to raise the money and keep it, you know, this whole secret life they live trying to plan their escape from an abusive relationship. So to do it in four months, that's pretty impressive. So mm -hmm. what did you go through and, and did you ever speak to him about it? Did you just disappear? Or, I mean, how do you get out of the Middle East? <laughs> you know, we're writing, my daughter and I are writing a memoir. I brought, I've written 40 pages on this, which will not go in the memoir, but there's a lot to it. So it's a big question. I don't know how long you want to stay here, girl. Just hit, hit the bullet points. <laughs> So, um, in my, in my, when I was, uh, working, I was working in corporate in Silicon Valley, I was working in, um, strategic planning. So I think that helped a lot, but my brother was also instrumental because my brain was pretty much fried. Right. And, um, so he was somebody who, my ex-husband was somebody who stayed home most of the time working. So no you know, escape 101 is you do not tell them because especially in his case, he could literally have kept me, kept me there. Right. I could have been, you know, so I couldn't tell him. So for four months, I was packing up things from the house under his nose. We had a live-in maid. I had to hide it from a live-in maid. Don't even tell me how he did all this stuff. I think God was watching over me. Absolutely. I, the details are incredible. So I don't know if any of you have read um, uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Absolutely. Not that I'm not comparing my life to him in any right. shape or form. However, how did he escape? He escaped naked in a body, of, in a truck full of dead, naked bodies. So he escaped in plain daylight. So we were planning a trip to the United States. So that day we left our house. We were in the taxi going to the airport. My daughter was in the back seat. I sat next to her and my husband was in front. All three of us were going to the United States, but I knew only one was going to be coming back. Yep. So we went um, Beirut to Paris or no direct flights to the United States from Beirut, Paris, Paris, San Francisco. It's an 11 hour flight. That 11 hour flight, let me tell you, uh, my heart was beating like crazy. I mean, even before. My daughter and I looked at each other and it's like, we knew what was coming down. And I looked at him, oh, my brother was going to be meeting us at the airport. I knew exactly where, when those gates opened up, you know, international arrivals, I knew exactly where he was going to be. We each had our own little luggage carts. My daughter and I took our luggage carts. We, we put them, parked them behind my brother. I was so terrified of my husband. I had my brother go and tell him, Rosie's upset. She needs to have some time alone. I couldn't even say I had to have a lot of uh, psychology support to even speak those words finally. So we did. Some other things happened. And then we turned our backs and walked out, leaving him standing alone in the middle of a busy airport. Oh, my goodness. I have bumps all over. 
I call them spirit bumps, but some people call them goosebumps. I have bumps all over my body because mm-hmm. I, I could just imagine the, I mean, when you have to have your brother say the words, that's how frightened you were. Oh, I was After terrified. 25 years being in the, just being torn down and torn yeah. down little by little by little. They talk like the frog in the boiling water. Just mm-hmm. all of a sudden, one day you look in the mirror and go, where did I, where am I? Where did I go? Why, yeah. what, how did I become such a shell? I'm educated. Yeah. I'm beautiful. I'm, you know, and it's 25 years later. So yeah. did you ever have any more contact with him after that? Yeah. I mean, the phone just started blasting, you know, he called my cell phone and my daughters and my brother. I mean, you know, so yeah, there, there's quite, a, there was quite a turmoil, you know, and oh, and I, I love this one. This is a woman of my life. You know, I, I you know, I, there's no other woman I've ever loved. And, and I knew it was just, I knew it would flip. It was like a flip of a switch. He would flip over like he did, you know, a hundred million times before in our relationship. And, um, and, and I needed a lot of support within the first week that I arrived there with already, my brother and I already did a triage. I interviewed three, uh, three attorneys. I uh, hired an attorney. We, we set everything in motion right away. Uh, I had not been a resident of California, so we had to get a legal separation and we, it was boom, 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 right, right down the line. And he kept trying to profess his love for me and, um, let's work it out. Um, and it's now been 11 and a half years. And to this day, he, you know, I will get be harassed by him or his cronies who keep, yes. Still. I, I, still to this day. My birthday was in November. He made sure to poke me, right? You know, he thinks I kidnapped our daughter. Right. He has no idea that she was the instigator. Well, she wasn't the instigator. She was the catalyst. It was a matter right. of time. There was a straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. I can just imagine my daughter, if my one of my children came to me, is protect me from, from daddy. The guilt and you know, the shock. And like you said, well, well, you just have another year left for your degree. You know, yeah. we've put up this long. Let's just fit. Wait a minute, what am I saying? You know? Yeah, exactly. That was exactly it. Right. <laughs> you know, and she goes, and she goes, No, mom. And I go, Well, yeah, right. Okay, okay. But it's like, you know, I mean, you're just like, you know, you're just like your mind just starts churning like crazy. Like, what am I gonna do? And Mm-hmm. And I only had, um, I only had plan A, freedom. Right. You know, that was it. There was no plan B. It was going to work. Right. And it I, had I just, to work. Right. It had to work. I knew. And I just, I, I just, I, I planned it, you know, how we were going to leave him and everything else kept changing, but I knew it had to be in a busy place because he doesn't like to be embarrassed. Oh, that's part of a narcissist. We can go into whole definition of narcissism and their personalities and, um, but that's, that's beside the point. Well, that's part of the point, but I think it's important too, that people understand. I talk about this a lot, but it's important to understand that cycle of abuse because they're not beating on you and degrading you all the time. There's the, I love you. I love you. I'm, I'm warm and charismatic and, you know, and then there's the explosion and the abuse, and then there's the apology and then there's the warmth again. And then, so it just goes in this cycle. And after a while, sometimes that cycle can be two months, it can be two days, it can be two hours. Um, yeah. But there's, there's that cycle and it, it doesn't get better. It always gets worse. Yeah. And that's what was my experience. I mean, at the very end, I was, I was terrified. He had never been like, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people, but um, I, I, I thought he was going to kill me, you know? And even after I arrived back in the United States, I thought he was going, cause he had the money that he was going to arrange my, my, you know, run me off the road, hire somebody, run me off the road. I really right. believed it. I was so terrified uh, of him. 
uh, understandably. So how did that uh, impact your daughter now? Is she married now or because this was back in 2009, but how has that impacted Uh, her and her relationships? Well, it has, you know, because um, she had a hard time, um, not when she was there, but here, you know, making friendships. I mean, she has now, but you know, knowing who she was, she didn't have the chance to live her, to live her life. She never had the opportunity to be a teenager. That was, that was taken from her. And for psychological development, they have to go through all the stages. She can't, you can't, you can't jump to, to adulthood. You have to go through the psychology of being an adolescent before you get there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, intellectually, again, she's very intelligent. You know, she graduated with honors from the university here. Um, but, you know, she's, she has, um, she has challenges that she's still coping with. And she's, she's so bright. She's so giving. Um, she has so many gifts uh, that blow me, blow my mind. Um, but I, I also see her struggles. And of course, as a mother, it's extremely painful, mm-hmm. you know, and it's painful that, you know, she saw a mother who wasn't confident, who wasn't empowered, who didn't know herself. So that's what I, that was the model she saw of me, which wasn't a good model. Women need to be aware of that, right? So she had a father who was abusive and she had a mother who looked weak. Mm-hmm. So she had a lot to deal with. Right. And so she never found the love of her life, the kind love of her well, life. Well, not yet. Life. I mean, she's right. still, you know, she's, you know, she still has time, but. Uh, Absolutely. Oh, plenty of time. I, yeah. I always say it's better to never get married than to marry the wrong person. Yeah. I say that yeah. to my, my daughters and my sons both. Yeah. Like it's yeah. better to never get married than to marry the wrong person. So there's always yeah. time to find somebody. And you have now found yeah. a kind love of your life. Yes. How did that happen? You know, I, well, it was, um, it was after doing a lot of work on myself and it was, I had made an, another major shift and um, we were talking a little bit before we went on air that, you know, the, the, the company is called the love is kind network because I wanted to focus on what I wanted. And when I was dating before I was saying, well, I, I want to make sure he doesn't control me and he doesn't abuse me and he doesn't do this. And I can't, I, you know, and it was all this negative thing. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to look for somebody who is kind to me. I'm going to look for somebody who, ha- who, who is kind and thoughtful. And this guy on his profile had kindness as one of his primary values. Kindness is one of my primary values. And really, I think that's the basis for our, our relationship. So now, I mean, I, I experience peace, love, and joy every single day with this man and kindness. And, and somebody who, who listens to me and who hears me. And um, it's, it's, it's the most beautiful relationship. And I'm so glad I'm able to experience it, even though late in my life, it's right. worth it every, every second. But I think you said something really important there, Rosie, where you had to work on yourself first so that you didn't get into a duplicate relationship. Oh, absolutely. The first one. So you had to focus on your pillars and your values and get yourself back, reclaim yourself before you were really healthy enough to put yourself in another relationship. And this is what I think uh, a lot of women do. They're so alone. They're so lonely that they jump into a relationship before they're really ready. And then they wonder why it keeps 
quote unquote, failing or not working out. That's how that perpetuation keeps coming. Right. If they haven't done that work, you know, that's, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate about that, that women do the work. They really discover who they are. I didn't know when they said, oh, oh, you need to be your authentic self. I go, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> you know, I don't <laughs> no, know what, exactly. <laughs> right. It's like, but I had to discover what that meant. Right. And that's one of the things that I think uh, we have in our show notes is some free materials that you have for people that they can, uh, and I'm assuming you work with mostly women, but I know men can be in abusive relationships too. Um, so tell me a little bit about the gifts that you have for the, our listeners. Yeah, the uh, I have, it's called the 11 Freedom Fulfillment Pillars. This is a guidebook literally to reclaim your voice, your value, your confidence, and courage. So you can really create uh, what I call the productive and joyful life that you deserve. You can create that. And, and this is going to be the most important work you can do in your whole life ever. And this is how, this is, these are the pillars that I did followed. And this, these are the ones that I help my clients with and help them transform their lives. And the other free thing, which is a really great starting point too, is to take what I call the freedom fulfillment quiz. It's the freedom And in four minutes, you just get, um, you see where you're at and where you want to be. It's like, oh, okay. Because only change begins when one, you're aware of it. And two, you decide that you want to change. You can be aware of it and decide not to change. And there's nothing anybody else can do to help you. Right. But if you say, I'm not satisfied with my life here. I want to have a kind love. I, I, I want to be able to set boundaries and, 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 not, and honor myself and not feel like, you know, I have to be people pleasing all the time. Yeah. And I think when I, I was reading through some of the materials earlier, and I thought, you know, I know a lot of women as empty nesters who could use this information as well. And they're not in abusive relationships necessarily. They've just lost track of who they are. Who they are. Yes. I'm, I'm, this is so true. You know, we just, we identify ourselves with something and then now we've lost that. It's like, right. who are we? Who right. are you? And it's, it's not the end when the children leave, it's not the end of your life. Like Absolutely. you were talking about the boogie board. So yes. <laughs> yeah, I was boogie. Yeah. I, I learned, you know, people, I don't know if you can only hear me, but if you can see me too, you know, but still, I mean, I learned a boogie board like at 64. Right. I learned a pedal board, you know, a couple of years later. I mean, you can create the life you want. You can create it and it can be an end. I have, I, my children have left and I'm creating something new. Exactly. I mean, I feel like I'm in the adolescence of my life. Exactly. I, you know, I was like when the children moved out and moved on and I was like, Hey, it's time to be me again. <laughs> and and yeah. not just mom. Now I'm right. Pauline again, you know, <laughs> I'm always mom, you know, there's, there's, yeah, four, that, there's, good. There's only four people in the world that can really call me that, but you know, <laughs> and I'm very happy about that. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so when you work with people or you go out, because I know you speak and, and you write and you do so many amazing, wonderful things that you weren't doing before in your 25 mm -hmm. year relationship. And that's all something that you're working on now. What achievement of yours means the most to you? Oh, well, <laughs> or maybe the top three. <laughs> yeah, really, blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, like, um, I, I, well, 
I, you know, obviously my, the first one would be, you know, my daughter and, and getting, and really um, our freedom, getting our freedom. I, I think, um, uh, I think that's a statement of, of, of uh, devotion of a, of a mother to a child and, and to what, I, what we believe in. So um, that will always be, I mean, there's not one single day I really don't think about my freedom. It's, it's something very dear to me. Um, I'm also just in general, really proud of what I've created. When I landed in the United States, I had zero concept, zero concept of what I was going to do with my life. Zero. I had had a past and when I worked in Silicon Valley and then, my, you know, in the 25 years with my ex-husband, but I had no idea. And the fact that I look back on my life and, you know, I've become an international award-winning entrepreneur. I've become a speaker, a writer, uh, you know, a pack. It's like, I look at it, it's like mind boggling. And I think the message here is not to ever use your past to determine your future. You can create your future. And regarding the relationships, I sometimes say that I would rather fight and struggle to create my own future than, uh, than, than fight and struggle in an abusive relationship where I'm getting nowhere. Right. You know, they might both be difficult, but at least I'm creating something. Right. I'm creating and doing my life. And you can see that this doesn't mean you're, you're I'm with a wonderful man. It doesn't mean like you create your life and you're empowered and then you know, men are not important anymore. Very important in my life. Absolutely. <laughs> one, one guy is very important in my life. One. <laughs> That's right. You know, you have, you can have it all. Mm-hmm. Oh, amen. Well, and there's no more beautiful way to start to end this than that exactly that point right there. You can have it all happiness, fulfillment, and your mission and your children and all of it. Rosie, thank you so much. You're going to stick around because we're going to do a special bonus for our VIPs, for our people in our cafe club, uh, the cappuccino members. But thank you so much for sharing your story and offering all the free resources for people that they can take advantage of and for your work and your mission in life. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for giving me this opportunity, Colleen. You bet. And we'll take care, uh, make sure that you take a look at the show notes, get the free information, uh, follow Rosie and her podcast and her information, and please share it because there are so many women out there that are not hearing this, that need to hear this message so that they can protect themselves, their family, their children, and future generations. Thank you so much for joining us on this issue of Coffee with Colleen.